This is Lynn Nye of Medical Minds, and welcome to the Healthcare Success ARIA Agency podcast. If you're wondering why Stuart isn't introducing this podcast, it's because I'm interviewing him today. For those of you who don't know me, I'm president and founder of Medical Minds, a medical communications agency that specializes in physician and patient education and advocacy. Our team has supported the introduction of many first-in-category therapies, the first targeted cancer therapies, Rituxan and Herceptin, the first biologic therapies in psoriasis, Dexcom's continuous glucose monitoring, to name just a few, as well as patient programs such as the award-winning Cancer Survival Toolbox for the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. And currently, we are working with the American Gastroenterological Association on an innovative program in IBD to help bridge the gap between physician and patient communication. I have a PhD in immunology and I've worked in healthcare for my entire career. I'm also a cancer survivor. So today's topic of patient experience and how it relates to medical practices, hospital and pharma is especially important to me. I am delighted to have this opportunity to interview my friend and colleague, Stuart Gandalf, who contributes to improving healthcare practices every day. So Stuart, you're now in the hot seat. First question is, what does the doctor know best and what are some things that doctors don't know? So what I want to ask you is, you talk with physicians every day in private practice and major healthcare institutions, and what what do they tell you? This has gone from a non-issue to an issue that the more enlightened doctors are really concerned with, right? So, uh, and I've been on our podcast before talking to Dr. Jim Merlino maybe five years ago. And, you know, the joke was the doctor would say, you know, I don't care if they like me. (laughs) I just want them to get them better. And, you know, back then, Dr. Merlino and I would talk about like that kind of misses the point. This isn't a, you know, popularity contest. This isn't just a customer satisfaction. It's much deeper than that. It's like, you know, what is their actual experience? You know, are we developing our systems in our practice, in our hospital around the patient, or is it around our efficiency? And obviously, sometimes there might be conflict there. Maybe what it really would say is that on the practice side, the practices that tend to be just striving for excellence in everything strive for excellence in this area too, right? So they tend to be uh, excellent in terms of care, in terms of clinical. They tend to be excellent in terms of their business, their you know profitability, um, marketing. You know, again, we often get hired for people because they want to do marketing. They feel like their marketing should be first class. They feel like patient experience should be first class. And there's just like any bell curve, there's, you know, innovators, early adopters, late adopters, and laggards. So I'd say you'd probably find doctors along all lines of those curves. On the hospital side, got the same sort of dynamic where, you know, people are at different levels of embracing patient experience, patient-centricness. Do you think that there is a communication gap between doctors and patients? Doctors are always pressed for time. We can teach doctors how to communicate it better with patients. So it becomes less than a nice to have in their busy day, but it's gonna require real motivation and will to make these changes because otherwise, you know, you've got a, doctors are human beings too. It's one of the things I talk about a lot that I don't think people, I think people forget is they're human too with, you know, strengths and weaknesses like anybody else. And if they don't really understand the why they need to make these changes, you know, they've got other competing interests. For example, we are working on a program right now um, in IBD 
with the American Gastroenterological Association, basically to teach doctors how to describe biosimilars to patients. The reason why doctors need to use the right language to the patients is because if they don't understand the biosimilars um, are expected to, to um, be as effective and safe as the originator, then they imagine that any change that they experience is due to changing to the biosimilar. This is a very well-known condition called nocebo effect, where patients imagine that they have side effects because they're anxious and so on. So that, I mean, that's an example of why it's so really important for the doctors to make sure that the patients understand what they're telling them. And when you're, you know, when you're in a doctor-patient relationship, patients are always nervous. I've worked in healthcare all my life. I have a PhD in immunology, um, you know, and I know most things. But when I go and see the doctor, I walk out and I say to myself, oh, what did he say? If you have patients that understand, like obviously you want them to get better, obviously you want to take good care of them, but obviously they're going to be more likely to come back to you and refer to you if they feel like they've been heard. Yes. They're going to be happier and easier for your office to deal with. Most doctors want to remain super ethical, but there is that human component to this too, because there's all this, there's all kinds of resistance to moving forward with new stuff because it's a, it's a habit that you have to break, and you know we're busy, and why should I even care about this? I've got other stuff to do. Like I'm late for my next appointment, got to go. So I think it's going to take a real concerted effort to get a doctor to make a change, and I just feel like the why is really, really important. The program that you did for the Boston Pain Clinic was really interesting because you talked about it in terms of their business, um, improving their business. But actually, in terms of healthcare, what you did was to improve access to care because you um, drove patients to the office that probably wouldn't have gone otherwise. So, for example, this company, Order, that we've been talking with, they have a treatment that's a bit complicated, actually, because you have to have it by... IV infusion, but for people with chronic migraine, this is these people that probably have eight or more migraines a month, they had a very high number, I think it's something like 30% of patients who were migraine-free when they had this, this treatment. And so it's really important for patients to, to know about this because then they're going to go to their doctors and ask about it. And if they didn't know about it, then they're still suffering. So what you're doing is really driving the access to care. You know, a lot of people that do marketing for providers, honestly, what they've told me is they really wanted to be a doctor. They wanted to be a clinician. And that, and for me, that's just not me. I've never wanted to be a clinician. I'm not a frustrated wannabe doctor. I love doing what I do. I love marketing. I thought I was going to be an engineer because I'm very analytical, but I fell into marketing. I just love the way of, you know, motivating people to action is the part of marketing that's exciting to me. So while most people think I'm creative... I mean, what I really love doing is motivating people to action. So what makes me feel good at the end of the day is is that we really do help people get care that need care. And part of what we do is translate the clinical side to patients in ways that the patients can understand and hits the appropriate emotional hot buttons. It talks to them in consumer-friendly language in a way that makes them raise their hand and say, hey, I have that specific need or problem. So from that standpoint, I feel like we're you know improving care. In fact, I'll give you an example I met with a practice in Oregon, and uh, they came to us when they were little. They were two doctors, and they were thrilled with the idea of getting 
a new patient every day. Like that really, that was a stretch for them to get a new patient every day. And today now they get 20 patients a day, 20 new patients a day. And uh, they're still a client of ours. I hadn't talked to them for a while and they were talking about how over the moon happy they are. In any event, I went and I flew out and I did a new marketing plan for them because clearly, even though they've been an ongoing client of ours, we should look at the business anew now that we've grown their new patient count by a factor of 20. And the coolest part of that was when they were driving me around after the meeting was over, he said, see this town, you guys have helped us improve healthcare in this town. And that was really a cool thing. And that, you know, mm-hmm. really kind of drove home what we do. And then, it, but it doesn't stop there. It's like, you know, the idea of being able to leverage this stuff, first of all, getting people to raise their hand when they need care is crucial. And then secondly, you know, how can we use technology, being able to remind people to be able to, whether it's through apps or email reminders or text or whatever, patients are in a communication world. So how can we use technology in a way that feels like it's natural, part of their life, not intrusive, to help get them to comply with what they do? We're a a healthcare marketing company. We're also a digital company. Most of the work we do is digital. So how can we leverage the power of computers to, you know, reach these patients, stay in touch with these patients, get them to comply. But at the end of the day, remember, you know, our mission is to help get people better. Uh, that kind that's in, uh, that you were just talking about, I think, I think you said they're in Oregon. And so yes. are they a specialty practice or are they a primary care practice? So Lynn, yes. No, this particular case was a primary care business, but it works with specialists. We work with surgeons who want to do, for example, you know, GERD surgery or vein surgery. We work with gastroenterologists who are interested in doing different cases like endoscopies, colonoscopies, hemorrhoids. One uh, client we talked to you about recently was that actually did so well as a campaign it got a Google case study was for migraines. And, you know, migraines are just completely debilitating. And I'm not a migraine sufferer, but I've heard people can get on the verge of suicide when they have chronic migraines and it seems like nothing works. People that have had chronic migraines typically are feeling like nothing helps them, whether the doctor is treating them, the doctor is a client, or presumably the same thing with a pharmaceutical. When you weave the message correctly in terms the patient can understand, not only profitable, it's also ethical in that it's helping people get better care. So, for example, this company order that we've been talking with, they have a treatment that's a bit complicated, actually, because you have to have it by IV infusion. But for people with chronic migraine, this is these people that probably have eight or more migraines a month. They had a very high number. I think it's something like 30% of patients who were migraine-free when they had this, this treatment. And so it's really important for patients to know about this because then they're going to go to their doctors and ask about it. And if they didn't know about it, then they're still suffering. So what you're doing is really driving the access to care. If you're um, a pharmaceutical company and you have a new treatment, how do you scale this? What are some scalable strategies that you could um, help pharma companies with using the services from healthcare success? I think a lot of it comes down to applying marketing processes that we use with our clients to be more pharma. What we find with uh, the marketing that we do in our world, we try to be nimble. So if we try something, we, you know, we first of all, everything we do, we test, track, and adjust. So if we do an appeal for something that is working or not working, 
you know, if it's not working, we make an adjustment. We try it. So we're able to be pretty nimble, you know, from a pharma standpoint. And then we, we really do look at results and see, is this message resonating? And what the cool thing, what the greatest thing about digital is, you know, I've been a direct marketer since the beginning of my career. So direct marketing essentially compared to branding. Branding is about saying your same message over and over again, and eventually people get it. With direct marketing, you spend 100 bucks. If you don't make 400 bucks immediately, something's wrong. Try something else. So it's a kind of a different mindset. It's very, very much about driving results. When you're doing mail, for example, as your test, it took months to get any feedback from the marketplace, right? To do a mailer, to concept it, to design it, it takes months and a lot of money to get it to work. And even in newspaper ads uh, or radio ads, it takes a lot of time to get done. With digital, you can plan different approaches up front and sometimes within a couple of days, you know, you can test different headlines, for example, find out what really resonates with patients. And that scales like crazy because if it, especially with a pharma, because when you find that magic combination of variables, you can scale it out. And we do that. We have clients right now with various uh, campaigns we have that we, even though the doctor um, or hospital isn't in multi-states, the appeal is so strong that people have come from out of state to get care. That's very scalable. I often think about, just as an aside here, I see the Tamiflu commercials that come on TV all of the lot, and I haven't seen it lately, but they've, they've used the same commercials that I've seen where they've got this great big guy and he's great big, and is trying to explain the flu, to explain the difference between Tamiflu to Theraflu to pretty much everybody I know. They think they're the same thing. There's no understanding at all that it's a pharmaceutical, that it doesn't just mask the symptoms. It actually treats the virus. That message just, in my experience, I'm not privy to the research, but in my experience, just hasn't gotten out. So for me, like what's exciting about the kind of marketing that's possible is you can test this stuff and see, rather than for long-term trends, to see if consumers are relating to one appeal or the other to at least get that much. So if you're doing different ads, different appeals, and see which ones consumers interact with. And then once you find that, then you can double down and it scales really, really, really well. How can we break down the barriers to, between companies and institutions and collaborate for the overall benefit of the patient? Lynn, when I first started working on patient experience or first got involved with it, I was introduced to from a mutual colleague, Dr. Jim Molino at the Cleveland Clinic, back when they were first beginning their patient experience summit. I think I was able to speak at the second one, and then I was invited back to speak there again. So I've spoken there a couple of times. In my experience, hospitals... Are, have really taken this on, partly because reimbursement is impacted by patient experience, but also just because it's the right thing to do. And especially the forward-thinking institutions, in my experience, are willing to do the hard, hard work and heavy lifting to make their patient experience better. Again, not just because of the economics of it, but because of it's the right thing to do. And there's some, you know, hospitals and institutions lead, others don't. But there's more than that. So, you know, um, Jim's moved on to Prescani. Prescani is a leader in that area. Cleveland Clinic remains a leader. Uh, there's also the Academy of Healthcare Communication, whom I've introduced recently to. They are more how to communicate with doctors. And then it's jumping the divide over to pharma. I recently did a really intriguing test with Doug Nolan of Vestelis. And I feel like there's various experts in each of these areas. And so, even though, you know, the most of the work with Prescani has been on the hospital side, you know, they know people so that there's cross-pollination of ideas to everybody's benefit. Everybody can learn from each other. My viewpoint on this, at least, is like the hospital side, the doctor side, the pharma side, device side, they're pretty siloed. But I think that the idea of, you know, kind of coordinating care even in a more holistic way, because at the end of the day, the patient's the star of the show, or at least should be. And rather than being a specimen for all these 
disparate treatments, if it's really part of a whole, I think it leads to better care. It's more ethical and probably a lot more profitable as well. Thank you, Stuart, for letting me interview you today on the Healthcare Success ARIA Agency podcast. And on behalf of Stuart Gandalf, I'm Lynn Nye of Medical Mind, and thank you for listening. <laughs>